0: Hey, this is Jeff and Jeremy from the ultra running guys. We just want to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We started this podcast to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. We also want to make sure that you are aware that there are a few ways you can connect with us. So
1: be sure to check us out on our Instagram and Facebook accounts, and you can head over to our website, theultrarunningguys.com, so you can see the live races that we're hosting. Lastly, don't miss out on an opportunity to connect with us on Patreon, where we'll be providing behind-the-scenes content, and this year we'll be spending a lot of time really building up that community. So thank you again. Be sure to like, subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends. And enjoy the episode.
2: I like to push the pace in these races anyway, but it was just, it was way too fast. I ended up setting the, the frozen hellhole 100 mile course record running the 200 mile. However, at mile 115, I was calling Pat and I was like, dude, I screwed up. Cause it was, it, you know, quads were trashed and it was just, I knew it was going to be a tough race. I knew I would finish unless something just terrible happens. But I knew it was going to be a lot of suffering involved. And it was.
1: And welcome back to the Ultra Running Guys podcast. You got Jeremy Reynolds and Jeff Winchester of the Ultra Running Guys. And the reason that we're here is to help you take your next step in your ultra running journey. So thank you for spending the time with us. We're super excited about our guest tonight. And it goes kind of right in that vein of what can we learn? So I'm going to talk through this kind of slow because there's a lot to say. So our guest tonight is the only person to ever have completed the East Coast Triple Crown of 200. People don't know what that is. They don't. This is on the East Coast. And I want you to listen to the name of these because they were not meant to be easy. you got the Hell Hole 100 212 miler, the Swamp Fox Ultra 210 miler, And then the Frozen H3, which is the Hellhole 100 212 miler, which I believe is in January, which Mm -hmm. is why it's Frozen. But not only is this guy just pretty some monster distances, in 2021 he was the first male finisher with a time of 15 hours and 42 minutes at the Yeti 100. So absolutely smoked it. If you're doing quick math, that's a 925 overall pace. So just an unbelievable runner, but here's the deal. He just started his running journey in 2016, which tends is right about the time we started. It's embarrassing. (laughs) And then he ran his first ultra in 2018. So the bottom line, if there's one word, I think that we, if we're going to choose something to describe him, we think it's grit. So stick around, see what we can learn from this guy, because we no doubt are going to be able to take some lessons and apply it to our own journey. So Chris Barnadeau, welcome to the show, man. Thanks. Thank you all for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So, obviously, there's a lot to talk about, right? You've been doing some just pretty big things in the last few years, but we also know that running was not always part of your story. And just to give some background, I think you were about 245 pounds when you got married. You lost between 80 and 100 pounds, which is amazing on its own. Mm-hmm. And then you started running a few years later. So, I guess. Really, let's start there. How does somebody go from not being a runner to being a podium runner in essentially a four to five year time frame?
2: Well, I don't know. I think the biggest thing for me is even though I haven't been very athletic, I've always been disciplined. And so I think a lot of it comes with just being disciplined and, and being consistent and just putting in the work, even though it's a short period of time, being consistent over those years and like you said when I got married which was in 2005 I was 245 250 pounds basically ended up having some health issues went to the doctor he was like dude I I knew him personally he was like listen man you're fat I mean that's exactly what he said he grabbed my arm he said listen you need to lose some weight so I did at that time I was on a roof working that that's what I did for a career I, I was a roofer Knew nothing about nutrition, nothing about any type of exercise. I did play football in high school, but it—I really didn't take it serious. I was just kind of there. So, I basically started counting calories, but not really understanding how many calories I needed to consume while being on a roof. So, I, I basically starved myself. That's—you know—within a year's time, eighty to hundred pounds. I lost a lot of muscle mass. I was very unhealthy looking. And then I got where I started lifting weights a little bit and, and got into the gym thing and, and gained a, a decent amount of mass. And then the guy I was working out with at the time, he has a running background. And so basically he's like, man, let's let's go run. And so I live roughly two miles from a track and we would just go to the track two or three times a week and run two to three miles at a time. And uh, it's just kind of, it went from there. At that time, uh wife, she was pregnant, she was having some issues. We didn't think our daughter was going to make it. So the long distance stuff kind of came from that. It just allowed me to kind of deal with that on my longer runs. Um, but yeah, man, just being consistent over the, you know, since 2016 is I think the, the main reason I've progressed so much. Just for clarification, I mean, it is a
0: short period of time. You, you said you started in 2016, but you really didn't mm-hmm. run your first ultra until um, January of 2018, with uh, yes. I believe it was the Harvest yep. and 50K, then and then in May you ran your first 50 miler, and then in June you ran your first hundred. So mm-hmm. for it is a very very fast ramp up in that yes. timeframe. How do you go from from just getting started to running to being able to accomplish a um, hundred miler? Because there's a lot of people who are listening um, to this podcast, particularly that are, are aspiring to do their first, and maybe they've been running for for years. How did you just go to just try it
2: even? Well. I ran the Palmetto 200 relay with some family members of mine, and there was a guy on the team, I didn't know him personally at the time, but he had a pair of ultras on, and so I was like, okay, you know, maybe he trail runs and stuff like that, so we got to talking, and he had already ran, I believe, a 50k, and I wanted to run an ultra, so we got to talking, he's, his name is Christopher Powell. He's the one that actually told me about Hellhole and, and Chad and Eagle Endurance and all that stuff. So after speaking with him, I decided to run the Harvest. And I had no intention to run the 100 miler in June, but I had plans to run the 50 miler in May with him. And uh, so we ended up running the 50 miler, and it went great. We, uh, you know, we had a blast. I mean, it was tough. I mean, all of them's tough, but it wasn't as tough as what I anticipated it to be. So we we just kind of made the decision. Well, you know there's 103 weeks so just sign up for it and, and he would come pace and that's basically what I did and I mean I was on the train to be honest it was but I'm glad that I went into that race and I'm glad the difficulty of it because I think that it, it started me on the right foot to kind of learn to the, the endure on these difficult races because only two of us finished on my first hundred miler and it was deep water it was hot it's in June so it's it was 85, 90, 95 degree weather. And it was, t- it was the hardest, by far the hardest thing at that time I've ever done. When I got to mile 60, 65, had no idea how I was going to finish. No idea. But I just kept moving and, and eventually I did. And, and it, it, the first race being so difficult taught me, taught me a lot
1: now that was hellhole right it was hellhole 100 the 100 the Mm
0: -hmm. distance the hellhole 100 has multiple distances right so it has variety of lengths but but it does offer a 100 miler as well
2: yeah they offer from 16 until the all the way to the 212 it's almost 16 mile loop Mm -hmm.
1: and and for everybody just kind of listening so it's eagle endurance that puts on a, a bunch of different events jeff has participated in a good handful of them Um, But it's in the South. So South Carolina, is there some of them in Georgia or is it all South Carolina? It's all South Carolina. I think it's
2: all South Carolina. I do believe he offers one in North Dakota. I don't know where that comes from, Hmm. but he does offer a race in North Dakota. But majority of his race as far as Of course, what I know is all in South Carolina. Mm
1: -hmm. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but when he talks hot and humid, we're going to get into it. It's no joke. I I do want to kind of rewind a little bit because there's a couple of things that you said that I'm very interested. And I also want to get some clarity because we just talked about this huge ramp up and you said under trained. (laughs) But I think I've got some insight into kind of how you built up. And I don't think it was you just showed up unprepared. But I'm interested when you first started and you go out to the track and run the two miles or whatever. You know, for most of us, when we first start running, it sucks. Did you
2: enjoy it at first? No, it sucked. It it, it did. I, you know, my first run because I've never ran a day in my life besides the stuff we've done in football, and even then, like I said, I didn't take it all that serious. I remember going my first run. I had an old pair of Adidas on, I think, in a sweatsuit. You know, I had no idea what I was doing, and it was it was terrible. And the guy I was running with, he, he kind of pushed me to keep coming out. And, you know, we would do two to three miles, you know, at a time. And it, it was tough. But I started watching some YouTube stuff and found the ginger runner. Um, just happened to come across him and he kind of talked about, you know, the 50 and the 100 mile stuff. And at that time, I've never heard anything like that. So I thought he was absolutely insane. I, I didn't think it was, you know, anybody was capable of running 100 miles. So I started watching some of his videos and all. And then, like I say, the thing with my daughter, it just allowed me to just kind of zone out and and, and focus on some stuff and and get some thoughts in. And uh, so I would just every weekend just extend my long run and just got addicted to it. You know, once you start getting double digits and and you get to the half marathon and then it's just, just basically got addicted. And once I met my buddy, Chris, and and he was in the ultra running and kind of went from there.
1: So with that, because we talked about this quick ramp up, we've talked about your grit and you've already mentioned your discipline i'm guessing when you walked into your first 50 miler what kind of mileage were you putting in i'm guessing it was very
2: consistent well and that's why i kind of say under i didn't think i was under trained then but i do now just because of the mileage i put in now compared to what i did before my first 50 miler I mean, you're talking you know 30 to 40 miles At the time, I thought that was plenty for the 50, and I I think it was, but going straight from the 50 three weeks later to the 100, I I don't think I had the mileage in or the just time on my feet to to hit the 100 mark quite yet, but that's kind of where the whole, I don't know, and I don't even know if you call it discipline. It's just I've never had a DNF, and I I take it pretty serious to do whatever I need to do to, to finish a race. And I'm not talking anything crazy. I, I made a deal with my wife. If this ever something life-threatening, of course, I'm not going to push through it. But your typical tendinitis or, or whatever you may get, I'm not going to stop on a race just because training for these things takes so much family time. It takes away from family time. It, it's, it's a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of effort training for these races. And I just feel like if I'm putting in the work, I need to do whatever I need to do to to, you know, finish a race. And so that helped me with the first 100 because like I said, I had no clue how I was gonna finish, but I just, I knew I had to. So I just, I kept going. It wasn't pretty by any means, but.
1: You remember finishing the first 50 miler? Yeah, I thought I was gonna die. I remember thinking if I had to turn around and do this again to get to 100. But so it's so funny that you ran your first 50 and was like, Yeah, that wasn't bad. I could do 100. I was like, Oh my God, it's going to be so long well, before I run 100. <laughs> well,
2: I, you know, I think with any race, that's kind of how you think about it. Or at least for me, it is any distance. When you get to the end of it, it's like, Yeah, I don't think I could turn around and do it again. But the 50 miler was just, I mean, we slowed way down at and had a lot of walking, you know, your typical stuff, but it wasn't it never got so bad where i was just like oh this just sucks now with the 100 miler it was at that point like i said at mile 60 there was times i was laying on the trail (laughs) just not knowing what i was going to do to finish but you know
0: that's a really good point that you made because a lot of people when they finish their first 50 or whatever it is they'll look at not wanting to do another one he signed up for a 100 miler that was three weeks later yeah yeah that's what i'm
1: saying like it's I think I decided I want to do it, but I mean, we ran the first 50 mile in 2016 and then attempted the first hundred mile in 2018. And it was about a year and a half. I got an IV after my first 50 mile. <laughs> I think I got an IV after both of my first 50s. <laughs> so I, that, that helps add clarity. So, I mean, you were running 30 to 40 miles a week. Um, I know you were adding to your long run kind of each week. And so, again, it's not like you said, oh, a 50 mile would be fun. I'm just going to walk into it. So I think you had a level of preparation. I also, though, on the flip side, you moved a lot faster than most. And because of things that we're going to talk about, your grit, and I think your ability to just not accept defeat Mm -hmm. probably got you through it where maybe a lot of people would not have based off of that preparation. Sure. But what do you think have been some of your biggest lessons learned just in that journey from where you sit now and all the experience you have to kind of where you started? If somebody was back right where you were. And is getting ready to kind of launch on this journey, are there any lessons or any things that jump to mind that are like, yeah, these are the things that you'd pay attention to or I would do if I
2: had to do it over? Um, One of the biggest things, and it's not really necessarily do over, it's just like I was kind of talking about earlier, it's just not quitting. I, I think so many people give up on these races when it gets tough. And I mean, when you go 100 miles, it's going to be tough. I mean, that's just part of it. And I think so many people quit early and then they have to deal with beating themselves up because they dnf a race and i think if you can just just keep moving forward and i understand things happen but i think if people would just kind of when things get really really bad even i mean doesn't matter how slow you're going if you have time if you just continue forward you will finish and i think the motivation from finishing will lead into training more and when you train more These races become easier. They really do. And I think I've learned from that first one, is just when things get tough, just continue. Don't quit. That's the the biggest thing I've learned from that race. And like I said, it's helped me with every tough effort I've had. It's just knowing, okay, on the first 100, things got really, really, really difficult, but I kept moving and I got through it. And I look back at that race, a lot of my tougher efforts when things get really low, knowing that all I have to do is keep moving forward and I will finish. And so I think that's the biggest thing I've learned, you know, looking back, it's just to to not quit.
1: Easier said than done.
2: (laughs) That's good. It's it's actually really good. And actually,
1: it's funny, as you were talking, because there's two things there. One is like, hey, have the mental toughness to be able to accept the situation you're in and keep moving forward. And the flip side of that is, do your best to be prepared and not going under sure. And it's funny, we've actually had a couple guests and Kent Mullins comes to mind. Cause you remember when we asked him, he did his, he was doing his first 50K and he was pretty much like, you know, there's like part of, like, he just wanted to kind of David Goggins it, which is David Goggins is like the most consistent person on the planet, but most people look at him and go, oh, I, he just wants to be tough and push through it. Yeah. And so you're, I think you're more on the real David Goggins side, like, hey, do the work. Right. But then also yeah. when it gets really hard, be prepared for that, where some people miss and they're like, I, I just want to go
0: grit through it. And then like, Nope, that didn't work. And so I think that you, you actually touched on it. You said the more training you do and the more, more mileage you put in to prepare for them, you actually make the the efforts easier per se. It's not like it's an easier effort as in, as in, oh my gosh, that's just like a cakewalk, but it's more of a relatable experience. And so if you train to be in situations that are tough like if you if you don't um quit a training or a a hard run early and you get used to always pushing through those tough situations just in your training then when you get into an actual race you're used to that and so you make the hard easy by simply continuing to do it throughout the discipline of doing it regularly i want to know something though so with all the mileage that you you started with at the 30 to 40 beforehand right uh, and we're going to kind of get to what your training looks like a little bit later. When did you start working with a coach? I know that you work with Patrick Regan
2: now. Did you always work with him? No, I, worked with, I started working with Pat after my first 200. So after June of 2020. How much
1: has having a coach made an impact?
2: Well, I don't know. It's hard to say. The mileage side of it, I don't really need motivation to run. I, I think I would hit the mileage, if not more. What he has me running, so if anything, he kind of limits my mileage.
0: That's what I was going to ask you. Do you listen to him when um he tells you to take an off day?
2: um uh, Pat likes his volume, so we don't take off days, okay? <laughs> Unless you know I, I have something, some issue, but other than that, it's more just recovery days. So, and his recovery days are normally six to seven miles, easy pace.
1: For anybody who doesn't know patrick reagan so you started with him in 2020 and then it was 2020 when he ran yeti right and he set the course record in like 13 hours and 33 minutes so he's legit he's he's, the dude is elite for sure
2: and that was just to kind of add to that that was in the rain it was i think it rained the entire race
1: it did i know a lot of people drop for uh getting too cold
2: well when you're running at that pace I
1: don't think he has to worry about getting (laughs) But bad conditions. It was bad conditions. Let's talk 200s. Yeah, man. So the Hell Hole 212, middle of the hot season in the south. For anybody that may not know what that looks like or, you know, the Hell Hole 212, describe it for us, man. Take us there.
2: What do we see? What do we feel? What's that course like? Hell Hole is by far, it's got to be my favorite race just because there's nothing fancy about Hellhole, There's no fancy aid stations. I mean, he does have aid stations, but there's nothing fancy about them at all. And that's kind of what I enjoy. Say, let's say for the the 200, it starts on a Thursday. You have to have a crew. So I wouldn't say self-supported, but there's nobody there from the race until Saturday morning. Chad will come start you. He will put a tracker on you. And basically you're on the course by yourself until Saturday morning. That's when the A stations get set up, and there's not a whole lot of people that sign up for the 200. So once you get started, you're pretty much by yourself the entire race. I've ran some of the 200s and and didn't see anybody until Saturday morning. But hell hole, the biggest thing with hell hole is the heat and the humidity. You know, you're in the swamp. It's hard to breathe anyway. You add the humidity and the bugs and snakes and it's a very lonely race like I said once you kind of get spread out you don't see anybody and when the course is the way I like it is it's flooded it's shin deep water um and it's four miles like that and it's it's a horse trail so the water sections are or they're eat up from the horses so it's not like you're running on a a flat dirt road that is smooth underneath I mean it's you know there's some pretty decent sized holes. So you're slipping a slide and you're falling. So it's it's, it's a tough course. It really is. People automatically think, oh, it's flat. So I'm good to go. It's going to be easy. It's not easy by any means.
1: And for anybody that's listening, if that sounds familiar, Nate Christie, who is a, a past guest, this is the same race that we talked about with him in the 2.12. And so you guys actually were on the course together in 2020 when I think Nate had the DNF. And he talked a lot about water as well. Is that something, I mean, it sounds like you enjoy that. One, why why did, why did, do you find comfort in that? And then two, do you train specifically for feet wet all the time kind of thing?
2: No, I don't really train specifically. I've been fortunate enough to be blessed with feet that don't really have issues as far as blisters or anything like that. I've never had a blister. But as far as the water, that's just kind of all I'm used That's kind of what I've started with, and that's what I'm used to. So I, I really enjoy it, and I think a lot of it has to do, you know, you go into a race and you have a time goal, and there's a lot of pressure. You know, you have pressure to finish the race, but you also have pressure to try to keep a certain pace and hold a certain pace. But when you get on these courses that are flooded like that, and you know, okay, the time goal was kind of out the window. It relieves a little pressure. Mm -hmm. You know, now the only goal there is, is to finish. So it, it released some pressure for me at least. And all three of my two hundreds were flooded. Every one of them.
0: That's super fascinating. Yeah. So we live, um, in Southeastern North Carolina ourselves. And so we are very, uh, um, aware of the summertime, the heat, the humidity, and everything, and and all of the deliciousness that goes with that and what that looks like from our side. Um, I think it is fantastic that you don't have blisters. But I've got to ask, do you not chafe?
2: I did in the beginning, but I think I started wearing shorts with liners, so Mm -hmm. that kind of took care of the whole thigh chafing thing. Okay. And I will put baby's butt cream on my feet. I don't know if it helps, but... I've never had issues with them when I ran the Swamp Fox 210. A tropical storm hit Tuesday or Wednesday and it was still raining Thursday at the start. I and mean, then there's no reason to change socks or or change shoes cuz as soon as you start they're back wet. So I went, you know, 59 hours with wet feet.
0: But that's interesting. I, and again, we're all about like tips and tricks that people learn here. So when you said baby's butt cream immediately, I thought that's actually brilliant because when you have a young child and you're doing that to prevent them from being, you know, blistered and all that kind of stuff, it, it's, it forms a, a seal basically on their skin and it prevents water from actually staying and it almost repels it off. It doesn't wash away because it's, it actually mm-hmm. adheres to your skin more. I do have a question though. What kind of shoes do you wear?
2: Um, <laughs> During the 200s, there was some type of trail shoe, but always ultra.
1: Yeah, that's why he doesn't have any problems. He but now
2: you're using what? Well, I use ultra as well, but I just don't use a trail shoe.
1: He was waiting for you to say Hoka because he's a Hoka guy. I like Hoka. I'm, a, I'm, a, ultra. I'm an ultra guy. <laughs> so, so I am interested there because we've talked a lot about people with mountain and elevation running. We're always like, man, that would be, that's really hard. We train flat, these, these things. But we were having the conversation earlier about the benefit really of training in heat and humidity and so that's one of the things that that you've referenced how much do you think that that plays a role in both the grit and kind of mindset and then i think i heard you reference it before but i imagine being a roofer in the south had to be good preparation for being an ultra runner
2: i think the heat and humidity is a huge benefit because not only just with training itself but just building mental toughness because I don't know how it is for y'all, but for me, when it gets 90, 95 degree weather, it becomes to get really difficult. It's, it's extremely tough. So I, I believe the, the heat and humidity also builds mental toughness. But yeah, I think me being a roofer has helped with a lot of different things with ultra running. You know, we're on a roof, it's 95 degree weather. We can't just stop when we, we feel like it. You know, one thing we got somebody's roof open, you, you got to get it dried in by the end of the day. So, I mean, there's times where you're absolutely gassed and just, you have to keep moving. That's just part of the job. And another thing is, we talk about my feet. I think being on angle, being on pitched roofs all the time, you know, it's tough my feet. Hmm. I don't know that for sure, but I, if I had to guess, I would say that the reason I don't have blisters is just I have calluses built up already from the roofing. Um, just being at an angle all day. So it, it's I feel like it's helped my ultra running a lot.
1: Do you train intentionally? I, I think I'm more sensitive to heat now, especially, but you know, there's times where I'm like, hey, I'm going to wait until noon to go run because I know that I need that kind of like beat down or, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get used to it. Do you specifically run? I know most of your stuff's early morning, but do you ever use the heat like that? Like, oh, let's go run peak heat of the day?
2: It's not always been early morning. I've only been off of a roof for two or so years now. Before, it would work on a roof all day, soak up the heat, and then come home and and run. That's just the way my schedule worked. At the time, I thought it was a benefit, but I think that I was just overheated from the day because now I can take the heat so much better than what I, I used to. Now, being on a roof, I could take the heat fine. But like once I started my run, I felt gas from the get. And I think it was just soaking up so much heat during the day. Whereas now I work at a desk all day. So the way my schedule works now, what I've been trying to do is run before work. So I had to be to work at 6.30. I leave my house at 5.30. So I try to run before then. But yes, I do try to run in the heat when I can. Besides my quality sessions. Right. If I have a quality session, which are normally Wednesdays, I will, if it's hot, hot, I will do those on the treadmill.
0: That's good to know. That's a good tip. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to the swamp because I have a, an aversion for snakes. And so you're in water and you have snakes all around you. In my brain, I am like snakes on a plane, petrified here. <laughs> um, what the heck do you do if you're in the swamp and you have snakes that you can see either when you get your headlamp looking in the eye, shining back
2: at you, and you're thinking, holy buckets, what in the world am I supposed to do? when I ran the 100 miler there, the only snakes I seen were on the dry sections. And that's typically like copperheads, but you don't, you don't see enough of them to kind of freak you out. You may see one or two throughout the race. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but when I ran my first 200, I remember I was running with a buddy of mine, Chad Vaughn, and I remember us going through the water at night and seeing these snakes. And I'm not talking just one snake. And when I say in the water, they're not, you know, swimming on top of the water or whatever. They're in the water. And when we saw them, it like I said, it wasn't just one, it was multiple. And at that time, we had no idea what type of snakes these were. So yeah, that it will freak you out, not knowing, okay, if this snake is venomous or not. They're alive through the water. They're alive in the water with you. That's pretty bad. (laughs) but once we figured out and I don't even I can't remember how we figured it out but once we figured out that they're harmless then it's just kind of cool at that point because they, they run for from you I mean so
0: yeah apparently water snakes are the ones that go underneath the water it's the moccasins that sit on top of the water and your coppers will sit on top but if they are alive they're also a danger
2: we did see one moccasin and, and most of the time they're sitting off to the edge like you said they they will find a dry spot to sit on the snakes in the water they all look the same. They're bigger snakes, but you, you can recognize them. And like I said, they're harmless, so.
1: It's it's such a, like, niche race. I just think it's insane. <laughs> well, so we, we talked to, like, Anthony, who is, he's like a mountain goat, right, or, or Hillary, and they really like these, like, crazy mm-hmm. elevation. Mm-hmm. Then you've got kind of the standard, more like what we've done, the Yeti and the Umstead type mm-hmm. of hundreds. And then you got what you're doing and even when we talk to Nate, it's, it's these crazy endurance events, but man, you're adding in factors that you don't find, you know, I've never been to something where we didn't have aid stations that were more than eight miles apart and where it was like, oh, here's a tracker. Good luck with the snakes. So uh, to me, it's just so interesting that, that, that's the kind of thing that you're attracted to. And again, it just plays into like, I'm so impressed with the grit aspect and I'm curious about it. And so when we talked about the triple crown, so you did your first 212. And I'm gonna I'm just gonna kind of skip over the swamp fox unless we come back to it for something specific. But I know your first 212 went pretty well. I heard you talk about the swamp fox actually I think went even better.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: you did the frozen H3. And uh when you wrote to us before you said hey that was your lowest moment. Take us to that because this is where I want to kind of get into some mindset and some of the things that you've been through but I know you ended up having to call your coach at 100 miles. Tell us why and, and where you found yourself in that moment.
2: All right just to touch on the whole A station thing. He does have A stations starting on Saturday roughly every seven miles. Seven to ten miles but just when you start at 200 on that Thursday, you don't have any aid stations until they set up Saturday. So if you're running a hundred or below, you do have eight stations. Right. All every right. seven to 10 miles. But yeah, Swamp Fox was great. It was by far the the most enjoyable and, and far as just easiest one out of the three. Frozen. I went into Frozen. I had a decent race at Swamp Fox. So I decided, okay, I'm just going to go for it at Frozen. And, and you know, just see what happens i went out at frozen i like to push the pace in these races anyway but it was just it was way too fast i ended up setting the, the frozen hellhole 100 mile course record running to 200 mile however at mile 115 i was calling pat and i was like dude i screwed up because <laughs> it was You know, quads were trashed and it it was just, I knew it was going to be a tough race. I knew I would finish unless something just terrible happens, but I knew it was going to be a lot of suffering involved and it was just legs were trashed from the first, you know, 100. And then it just, the course was wet, flooded like normally, but it was normally with the course, it's dry, then you have your wet section. Frozen was it wasn't flooded until you got to the last three or four miles, however, the rest of the course was it was wet and damp and cold. It got pretty rough. you know, normally in the 200 mile stuff, I'm on the trail, if I need to take a nap, you know, whatever five minute nap, I just I take a nap. But frozen, it was so cold and and wet that you couldn't do that. so there was a lot of falling asleep, walking, and you know it's just it was terrible. The last loop, Chris Powell, a buddy of mine, he was pacing me and I told him, I said, I'm, I'm not running a step of this loop. It's gonna take, I think it took, probably took like six or seven hours to go to 16 miles. We walked every step and it was on the dry parts. I mean, you're talking 22, 23 minute miles. And once we got to the water, I looked back and it was 30 minute, 32 minute miles walking through that water and just so cold. I remember having, you know, three or four coats on and just shaking, just shivering, being so depleted and so cold, being I couldn't move very fast, I couldn't I couldn't warm up. And then having to go through this water for miles to where your feet hurt so bad because the water was so cold, it was terrible. <laughs> you know, I've had some pretty rough moments, but the desire to be finished Just even thinking back on it, it was, it was terrible.
1: So this is, I I feel like that there are aspects of this in everything you do, but when I heard you tell this story, when I read about it, to me, this is like, I don't know. It's kind of what defines what I am so curious about what you, what you're able to do, right? Like if, if I could say, Hey, I want to pull one thing out of Chris that we could pass out to everybody so that they could be more successful. I think it's going to be defining the story. Have you, had you heard that, that he set the hundred mile course record in a 212 mile effort, mm-hmm. which to me is mind blowing. But what's more mind blowing is that once you realized how bad of a spot you put yourself in, that you pressed on for another 112 miles. Why did you keep going when you were that cold and it was that miserable? Tell me why didn't you quit?
2: I can't. I mean, I I don't. I don't. I just. I can't accept it. I don't know why, but I just. I can't accept not finishing a race. I know how bad I will beat myself up if I do. So, like I said, as long as I have time now, if I didn't have time to finish, I probably there's. I wouldn't continue. But knowing I have time, and if I can move forward, I will. No matter how ugly it was, because it wasn't pretty by any means, but. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of crying and complaining, but I just, I can't accept the failure, you know, if I can move forward, continue to move forward and have time to do it, I just, I can't accept, I can't accept the the failure, so. So let me ask,
0: what would, it, what would accepting the failure mean to you?
2: If, if I can move forward, physically move forward without, you know, causing any, I wouldn't even say if, like I said, if it's tendonitis or something along those lines, I will still do whatever it takes to finish. But failure to me is bad as it sounds. If I take a DNF, no matter what the reason is, that's a failure to me. Tell me
0: from your perspective, why is it a failure bad for you?
2: I don't know. I just, I feel like if I'm taking the time away from my family to train for these races, that I need to do whatever I, I got to do to finish this race. Is it because um, you're letting yourself down or letting your family down? I don't really think, I think it's more myself. My wife supports me. She, you know, her and my daughter, she's at all my races. They crew me. So she, she's going to be there. and She supports me no matter what, if I, if I finish or not. I don't know. I think a lot of it has to do with, I don't think I will ever be the runner I want to be. And I have a hard time accepting the things that I can't do as a runner. And I know that it will defeat me mentally if if I take a DNF. If I don't do everything possible to finish this race, I'm sure there's going to come a time where I'm going to have an injury where I still have 100 mile left to know that I will not be able to finish this race. But if I can move forward, I will do everything I can to finish.
0: So do you mind me asking, why do you you question yourself as a runner?
2: I don't know. I, you know, even this past race, I ran farm days, 24 hour. And, you know, I, even though I put in hours of training, you know, many, many miles, I just cannot get out my own head when it comes, you know, to confidence. You know, I beat myself up so much before the race to where I almost took the enjoyment out of the race. I mean, I was I was almost defeated mentally before I even started the race. Just thinking that I was not going to perform the way I wanted to. And that's one thing I don't know how to fix. Confidence is a, a, a huge downside of mine when it comes to running. Because I don't know, I, even with Yeti, you know, I ran Yeti, by far the best race I've ever had. It went great i mean it couldn't have went any better until i got i normally get sick in these races um can't figure out why but mile 84 started getting sick so i had to slow way down the you know last 16 miles or so but up until that point it went great like the best it could have went but even then when i finished i'm only looking at the negative home getting sick you know it could have went better and that's something I have to fix, but I just, I don't know how. Even with training, if I don't hit a certain pace, you know, if if I don't have a run that go as well as what I think it should, I just, I beat myself up about it.
1: Any idea where that comes from, what the root of that is?
2: Mm-mm, I have no idea. I think I, I want to be a better runner than what I ever will be, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I know I won't reach the runner that I wanna be, but I think, I think there's a positive to that also because that keeps me motivated to keep training. It kind of puts a a goal out there that I know I will never reach, but it it keeps me motivated to at least keep trying. But yeah, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know how to fix it. Pat and I talked about it, about having confidence going in and, and it's just, it's hard for me to have confidence, even with the 200 mile stuff. I mean, the first and second 200 miler went great but going into the third one there's still no confidence there there's no confidence to finish there's no confidence to you know to have a good performance i just i don't know that's something i need to work on i just got to figure out how
0: so let's let's do this a little bit describe to me the runner you want to be that you don't think you can be
2: i don't know i just i have and a lot of it has to do with the time because i've completed a lot of races mm-hmm. so now it kind of goes you know, it's focused more on the, how fast I can finish a race, like with Pat, you know, he's my coach and we ran a couple of times and running with somebody like Pat, we ran, let me see, a couple of marathons, training runs. And then we ran a 35 miler for his birthday Whew. and running with somebody like Pat for 35 miles and, and he's full conversation, never broke a sweat, looks the same as he did at the start, and it's just, so I start comparing myself to him. Like, okay, what can I do different? Why, you know, I put, the, I put the same mileage in as Pat, if not more. So I put in the same amount of work. And so I compare myself to him thinking, okay, if he's running like this, I should be able to do the same thing, which I know it won't happen. I mean, Pat's PR is, I think, 12, 21. I think he's got sub 12 in him. And so I know I'm not capable of that, but it, that does keep me motivated though to keep to keep training and at least keep trying to be the runner I want to be.
1: I think it's so interesting. It's, it's definitely a double-edged sword, right? Because sure. clearly the results that you're getting by putting that kind of pressure and thinking and discipline because of those feelings, you're getting results. One of the questions that I have is, And it's, and this is even something that I struggle with. We talk about with gags and sometimes the, you know, people that chase events versus just kind of the process, are you getting any joy or fulfillment out of what you're doing or what you're accomplishing? Or is that always still just kind of out of reach based off of how hard you are on, on yourself?
2: It really depends on the performance of the race. If I don't have a good performance beat myself up to the point where, no, I don't get a whole lot of enjoyment out of it. And it, it, it wasn't like that in the beginning because my only goal in the beginning was to finish. So when I finished, you know, I started with the 100 and then Chad offers the 140. I finished it and the only goal was to finish. Then I ran a CGG 155, you know, it was the distance PR. Only goal was to finish. There was a lot of enjoyment just finishing once i got to a certain point knowing that i can finish these races where the 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 whole time thing started Hmm. then it becomes if i don't have a good performance and you're not going to have a good performance every race that's just the way it works you know with farm days i had a distance goal i wanted it didn't go as planned i still finished second overall but even finishing second I couldn't bring any positive out of it. It was all negative. And I have to be careful because then I start affecting my family, complaining about how the race went uh, the whole time after the race, even though I should be excited that, you know, I had a, a race, I completed the 24 hours. I came in second, no major injuries. You would think I would be excited and happy about it. But all I could think about is I didn't reach, I didn't reach my goal. Um, so yes, it does take some of the enjoyment out of it. And that's definitely something I need to work on. People tell me it all the time. I mean, I got some close friends. They're like, dude, you need to just enjoy it. And I want to, don't get me wrong, but it's just, it's hard sometimes. Sorry, it was a dinner bell. Fries are done. Yeah. <laughs> it's <a dinner> <laughs> um, but, you know, like I have the dome, six days in the dome in June. I'm running the 24-hour. But see, it's different. I don't feel like I can compete with the guys there. So my mindset going in is just to see how many miles I can run um, on a track. And that was the same thing at Yeti. Like, even though, yeah, I beat myself up about the last 16 miles and not catching the lady in first, I still, I I got a lot of enjoyment out of Yeti because it was an awesome race. Just the race itself and then my performance for me i mean it was four and a half hour pr yeah Um, that's incredible so you know it it was a great race and i think with the dome you know when when i went into yeti it was no pressure i wanted to get a good time but there was no pressure in far as competing with other people because i didn't think i could so when i went into yeti it was just okay i'm gonna run this the best i can i'm not gonna compete against anybody i'm just gonna try to get you know, a good 100 mile time and it went perfect. And I think the dome will be the same just because of the caliber of people there that I don't think I'm to that level yet. And so far as going in competing, I'm not really thinking about competing with those people there. It's just, I'm just gonna have to, you know, try to have a good race. And so I think the dome would turn out a lot better than what farm days did because at farm days, no disrespect to the other runners there because they're awesome runners. But I put in a lot of work and probably more as far as mileage-wise than they did. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I put in all this work. I should win. And I know that's not the way it works all the time. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, I put in, you know, 100-plus-mile weeks, you know, week after week after week. I should go and I should be able to win. Well, when I don't, then it's like that's when I beat myself up. You know, I ran all this mile compared to this person who's only ran 50 miles a week, you know, and that's when I started to beat myself up. Like, you know, why can't I run the same race he did or better. And I'm running 50 miles a week more than he is. So So, I beat myself up.
1: So it's comparison. So let me ask this
0: very much the comparison trap. Yeah. it it is. if,
1: If you had run the exact same race at farm days, but came in first, would you feel different?
2: No, probably not. Just because of it didn't, it was a pretty, I ended up walking like 24 miles. I had some hip issues and it just, it it wasn't a good race altogether. But, but like I said, I should be happy that I still, I hit 115 miles and and had to walk 24 of them so yeah, i you still you're be saying happy that because it
0: compared his i'm sorry to interrupt you yeah. because i'm oh, no, like no,
2: you're, you're
0: comparing same because he compared himself to the training he perceived he did versus what they did right I, I'm, I'm trying
1: to get to the root mm-hmm. of with yeti you said hey i'm going to show up and i'm going to do my best and it wasn't about what other people are doing so i'm trying to get to the root of are you hard on yourself when you compete with yourself versus are you hard on yourself when the results get compared to what somebody else other people's results i i
2: think i think it's I think it's all of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's all of it. And that's why I disconnected from Strava a couple of weeks before the race because of the comparison thing. Pat knows what he's doing. You know, I trust Pat hundred percent. Well, when I'm tapering this much compared to, you know, maybe this person's running however many more miles than I am, I start comparing that stuff. So it was healthy for me just to disconnect from Strava for a while because I, I followed a lot of the people at, farm days so I could see exactly what they were doing so yes there is some comparison involved but it it still goes back to wanting to be a a a runner that I don't think that I can be and so when I see other people kind of being that runner it just I beat myself up when I put more work and when I say work I shouldn't say work I just I put more miles than what they have so I, I start to beat myself up and no disrespect to them don't get me wrong I'm not you know but it's just that, you know, when I see myself putting in 50 more miles a week or whatever it may be, then, yeah, I beat myself up quite a bit. So that's definitely something, I don't know, Pat talks to me about it. We try to work on it. But it, it's still it's still kind of hard to get away from.
0: So do you, do you like the training?
2: Yeah, I, I enjoy my training. I like the 35-mile-plus stuff for long runs. So I will run 35-plus miles every other weekend. And then the weekend I don't, it's normally 26, 27 miles. And I really enjoy my long runs. But that still goes mm-hmm. along the lines of, I feel like when I'm putting in the work, that I'm going to become a better runner. So that's why I enjoy it. You know, you go put in a, a good quality 35-mile long run and have a good day, then that, build, that builds my confidence. And I think that's where I enjoy it the most. I, and you got to understand, and wh- where I live in Baltimore, we don't have trails. You know, so it's all road stuff. I mean, it gets, it's the same stuff every single day. So it's, it's nothing, there's not a whole lot of enjoyment as far as scenery is concerned. But like I say, if I can go out and have a good week of training, it, it helps build my confidence. And I do enjoy it, I do. Amy Hamilton, she won the Yeti. Yeah. We,
0: we both did that race. You, we were both. smoked right? me by many, many hours. But one of the things that stood out to me about her that I want for you, more than anything after just talking to you for as long as we have is she had so much freaking joy like when she passed us and she held mm-hmm. the gate for me up in that field you know where all the cow patties are and the cows are everything, and anything yeah, and yeah she held the gate for me and was laughing and smiling and i thought she is high as a kite absolutely <laughs> like freaking high as a kite and <laughs> and but her attitude Got like got got to me, and it moved me forward more. Like because sure. I was I suffering at that point. I thought, "Dang it!" Like she is smoking us and loving every minute of and it. She
2: and she's like that. I spoke with her. We actually ran the first three to four miles together before she took off, and that's where I come to find out that she was. She's actually she's coached by Pat as well, and I didn't know that because she's not. She doesn't have a lot of followers on Strava, it's just more for Pat. So we, you know, we talked, we chatted some and then I found that out, but yeah, she's, and she's, she's not only like that during the race. I spoke with her a couple of times just through chat and she's like that every time I spoke with her, she's just, she seems to enjoy everything. I think, I think. It's maybe the magic
0: sauce that we all need. I, um, I DNF'd Yeti a couple of years ago. I'm going to share the story with you only because I think it's kind of relatable as well. I believe the comparison will kill you. Um, and I say that just out of pure respect. I, I DNF'd the Yeti um, in 20 freaking 19 or whatever it was. I don't know what it was. I 20 remember 20. lying on the trail around mile 50 or whatever, I had stomach issues. I was whining, complaining to myself for a while. But what was going through my mind more than anything was the fact that we had started doing this podcast and I'm one of the ultra running guys and I'm feeling like complete crap right now. And oh my God, everybody's gonna think you're horrible. You've got to get up. And just the amount of external pressure I was putting myself started to take And I was gonna tell them, I said, I don't wanna do this crap anymore. Like, I I hate this. Um, And I realized after I DNF'd it and got in my car and everything and, and just being like a bitter Betty the whole time was that I was allowing external pressures to steal the one thing I loved. Which is to run. Um, regardless sure. of how I do, regardless of how he does, or any of that kind of stuff, I realized that comparison was killing my desire to actually run. Um, and so I just want that for you so badly. Like, I think you are an incredible runner. And I think your skills and things that you have demonstrated in such a short amount of time, the only person you should ever compare yourself to is the person you look at in the mirror. You know, sure. and, and I just think that you, you are a gifted, talented runner. And I hope that you will continue just to to learn this about yourself and to work through it because I think you're fantastic.
2: And, and I know that it's just, you know, and I work on it. It's just hard, you know, it's hard for me to do, but I, you know, I told my wife that I'm gonna try to do with the dome. I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna try to do better. One thing, you know, it's a 14, you know, and a half hour drive and we are going to drive and kind of make a trip out of it. You know, I don't think my wife wants to hear whining and crying for 14 and a half hours on the way home. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm gonna work on it.
1: Yeah. I respect your transparency and, and willingness to talk so open about it and also your self awareness. Thank you for that. And I relate in terms of, I've always been the one that was smiling on the course and happy. And for me, it was when all of a sudden I did some things And like where people were like, oh, that was good. Then I felt pressure to improve. And all of a sudden my wife said, you're not as smiley as you used to be when you race. Because I was feeling the pressure, like what you're saying of, oh, now I'm not performing to the level I think I should be performing. And so while I think, you know, I'm not doing 200 mile races, it's something that I've had to work to probably to a a smaller extent, but I really hope that that you're able to find that because I know what it feels like to kind of be on both sides. But also, and I know you know all this because clearly you're self-aware, but when you take a step back and look at your trajectory, the, what you're comparing yourself to are the people that have been doing it for years and years and are at the top of the game, right? And any of us and the people that are comparing themselves to you, I'm sure if they said, well, we're running a lot and we're not doing what Chris is doing, you'd probably say, well... <laughs> Hold on, you, you know, you got to put a little bit more work into it and you got to do these things because sure. you know the amount of effort that it's taken. So, again, I know you know that, but from where I sit, it's like, dude, it's just a matter of time. You just ran the Yeti in sub 16, right? There's like a fraction of percent of people on earth that will
2: ever be able to say that. And I know that, you know, right. I know all this stuff. And like you said with Yeti, I mean, four and a half hour PR, I, I got to figure out a way to be, and I am happy with it. Don't get me wrong but I still need to figure out a way to say, not to say, okay, well, I could have did this better and this better. And why did this happen? And all this other crap. So the,
1: the one hard thing for me about it is I do think it's at the root of your grit. It's a, it's a, it's a challenge. It's, it's one a, of those things. And we talked about something with Hillary Allen, right? Like if, if you change that problem, sure. There's that question. Well, what if, what if I change that? What if I just am okay and I'm fulfilled now? Then do I still have this same drive to do some of the things that you're doing? And I, I think you do, but I would imagine that that's probably a little bit of a, a struggle because I do think that being you being so hard on yourself allows you to go through things that mm-hmm. I know uh, pretty hands down that I'd be like, not worth it. I'll come back to fight another day, right? And you're like, no way, like unless you know, um, unless I'm about to have to tell my wife that I'm in a life threatening situation. It's go, go, go sure. dude. You're impressive. You're an impressive dude. And I think just talking with you, I've learned a lot and I, I'm sure people
0: have as well. I got nothing else. Okay. Well, I mean, the only other thing is I'm going to give you the quote that Andy, Andy Blaze gives us a lot and his, he says this and he gives me griefs because I don't always smile on my pictures either on Instagram because he just likes to give me crap about it. But beside the point, he has this statement he uses and it, he puts it on most of his posts as well. And it, it speaks to me a lot and he says, smile or you're doing it wrong. And, and to Absolutely. me, if, if you allow that to just settle on you when you're thinking about like, I'm just ticked off or whatever it is, you're like, ah, then why am I doing it, right? Then something sure, about the sure. way I'm approaching this is maybe not the right way for me because it's not allowing me to have some sort of joy and stuff. So shout out to Andy for keeping me, you know.
1: And Steve Epifano just ran at, at the race with Andy and he's like, it's true, he smiles all the time. <laughs> so, um, and you know, I, I, I do envy people that can find joy even in those really tough moments and for sure he was in a lot of miles yeah but look man um we have we've really enjoyed talking with you you're an impressive impressive individual and again i just i have so much respect after sitting and and watching you kind of process through everything and for everybody listening i have no doubt uh, that there was a lot of value in this and so if you are listening uh please follow, like, subscribe, share with your friends as we continue to, you know, just build this community. And so Chris, you're on Instagram and and this is so fitting. Uh, Your Instagram handle is at gritty runner and there's an underscore in between, but you know, guys go, go check out Chris, send him a note of encouragement. You've got plenty of stuff coming up this year. And so I know you're going to be very, very active but I uh, dude, just thank you so much for spending the time with us
0: tonight.
2: Yeah, I enjoyed it. I really did. I, like I said, I hope it's it's not too boring. But
0: no way, man. You know, no way. But yeah, I enjoyed it. I really did. Well, we, good. We believe in him more than he believes in himself. Yeah, for sure. No, yeah, that's
1: that's <laughs> probably that's probably true. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we will be talking soon, and
0: okay, cut. I'm Jeremy. Oh, that's a good thing. We haven't introduced
2: you. I'm Jeff. i uh, Chris. Nice to meet you Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, man. Actually, Maggie, she contacted me yesterday. So about like D-Maggie, Maggie Goodwill. D-Maggie, D, D yeah. You need, you, need crazy. In,
1: you need to put us in touch.
2: <laughs> you know, I'm not used to the whole podcast thing. I mean, I have done a couple, but I mean, can't say I'm not nervous. I'm talking really loud intentionally, so I don't hear any
0: echo back. Yeah, that sounds way better. Now you're, you're like, stop screaming in your you ear. You go, my God, you're loud. Yeah, I got to turn it down.
1: i talk really quiet.
0: <laughs> Jeremy and all his magical magical wizardry will edit it out and make it very clean, and we'll all sound like you know what we're talking about. 80 to 100 pounds is a lot of weight. So, uh, I've got to ask you were 245 put you down at 145 how tall are you? Mm -hmm. 5'10 dang 5'10 and a half we're going to tell Jeremy he's fat (laughs) the problem is you're going to be on podcast if you keep doing incredibly stupid stuff (laughs) yeah Yeah, I mean people don't want to know about it he edits the crap out of me if you listen back all the stuff we've done (laughs) trust me you're fine
1: So first, just thank you for taking the time to spend, uh, you know, this time with us. We hope that you're... Uh... <laughs> Drink up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I only- <laughs> You know what's great about this? Is he really... makes me feel better. <laughs> he rarely screws this
1: up and yeah. it's just fantastic when as he does. Soon- <laughs> as soon as I said time and then I was like, "spent." I was like, just gonna look at me. And then right then you were like... <coughs> Go ahead.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's probably the third Third.
1: time I've ever had a good.